We shouldn't talk about this may contain graphic descriptions and or explicit content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everybody, I'm Key. And I'm V. And this is We Shouldn't Talk About This. Hello, hello to you, Key. Hi, V. Good to see you in person today. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It is. Well, I guess that's what June's all about. Oh yeah. Seeing thy family for thy first time. First ish. First ish, yeah. <laughs> I know. So. Yeah. What's on the agenda for today? Oh, for like what we shouldn't talk about. Yes. You know. Do you know how mystery murders work? Mystery murders. Yeah, like you know, like the little dinner game or whatever. Mystery murder. No. Murder mystery. So like um, they they have kits for it, but also you can just make up your own, and it's like um. Like, friends are over your house for a dinner, and everyone's, like, you know, being normal, being cool and everything. Mm-hmm. Then lights go out, and then next thing you know, boom, Eric is missing. <laughs> I'm sorry. That sounds like something you'd be into. It's fun. It's fun because, like, there are clues, and then there are, like, you know. So you have to figure you, out who's killing, killing, quote-unquote, people? Yeah, but, Yeah. But then wouldn't everybody have to be in on it? Mm. Or? So, so in my experience, the murderer, the murderer knows, but the murderer, like, you know, is just, like, the same as everyone else. Like, I don't know what happened. Like, you know, Eric was just next to me eating his peach cobbler, but now he's gone. Right, but no, I mean, wouldn't all the guests who, wouldn't all the guests have to be in on it in order to get up and leave when the lights go out? Or does the murderer grab you and, like, drag you away? <laughs> <laughs> they, um, they, like, they, so everyone knows. So everyone knows they're at a, mur- at a, a murder mystery party. Oh, that a murderer's in the mist. Yeah, and, like, and, like, they usually, like, theme. So everyone's, like, wearing, uh, like, outfit from a specific era or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you know, and then, like, the first round is, is, um, is when guests mingle. And they have a clue card that gives them clues to reveal other players, as well as information to conceal about their respective characters. Don't worry, any secret clues that are meant to come out about each other will do so in the other player's hand in later rounds. This is when the motives unravel and each character's storyline starts to build. The tension will be high at the end of this round. So... This, so, so the rules I'm, I'm reading are like are on a card-based one, like the kit that you buy, mm-hmm. um, versus like you know just coming it up from scratch. Because if I come up with it from scratch, then I was gonna be like, all right, everyone, pretend like you're someone else, and then like you know, you go missing, just stay in this room, just hang out. Like that's it. The lights go out, and I tap you on the arm, roll under the table. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't make a sound, Eric. You do not make a sound, Eric. Damn it, Eric, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> he just gave up the entire immersion of the whole thing. But yeah, so so that's what murder mystery is is in a very, very bad, badly described way. But still, murder mystery is based off of, you know, of course, mysterious serial killers. Like people that have murdered during a certain time period and got away with it for an allotted amount of time and have just vanished from the face of the earth. Oh, I did not know that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And today, 
I think we shouldn't talk about that. Well, I have a good one. I feel like you have a good one. We should maybe flip a coin to see who's going first. Well, you're definitely going to laugh at mine. You're definitely going to laugh at my guy's name. Oh. My guy has a few names, but I'm going to try to stick to one. The Hash Slinging Slasher? <laughs> no. All right, let me see. I'm telling... The Hash Brown Killer. The Hash Brown Killer at your local Denny's. I am telling Siri to flip the a coin. The Jack Ripper. It has your tails. Tails. It is heads. Guess you go first. Or you make the choice. Key can go first. Okay. Well, let's get into it then. Gather around, children. It's time for a tale of crime. So... My person is the Long Island serial killer. Wait, how long is the island? Quite long. The longest of the islands. Ooh, fun fact. Also referred to as LISK, L-I-S-K, for Long Island serial killer. The Gilgo Beach killer. Gilgo Beach. Gilgo Beach. Or the Craigslist Ripper. Mm, not Craigslist. Yeah, Craigslist has got some pretty bad um, press with killers. Was was Lisk in the um, men seeking men or women seeking men classifieds? Men seeking women, we're assuming. Mm-hmm. We are assuming. Mm. So my tale is kind of a roundabout. It starts towards the middle-ish and then swings back toward the beginning then it catches back up to where we start, and then we go. Okay, then. So, in May 2010, Suffolk County Police were searching for Shannon Gilbert, a 24-year-old woman from New Jersey who was working as a Craigslist escort and was reported missing on May 1st of that year. She was last seen in the Oak Beach area after she ran from a client's house where her driver, Michael Peck, was waiting outside. Now, Shannon was raised primarily in foster care and fell into prostitution the way um, that many women do, an unstable upbringing, an uncertain future, the possibility of earning less in 40 hours at minimum wage than in one day as an escort. And I've always said, you know, if I had the body for it, I'd be a stripper, so mm. I'm not judging. Mm. No, no, no judgment. No. So that night, Shannon had been with Joseph Brewer, a first-time client, at his home. Brewer lived in the gated entrance to Oak Beach Association, which consisted of a few dozen homes built closely together along narrow roads that descended to the ocean-facing beach. Shortly before she was last seen, Gilbert placed a 23-minute 911 call while still at Brewer's home reportedly screaming, they're trying to kill me. According to a deposition Brewer gave later, Gilbert, who had been diagnosed as bipolar but was not taking her medication, had become unexplicably upset, and Brewer asked Gilbert's driver, Michael Pack, to help in the date. At some point after placing the 911 call, Gilbert ran from Pack and Brewer into the darkness, banging on neighbors' doors, begging for help. 
Two different neighbors called the police, but by the time the police arrived, she was nowhere to be seen. Now, we're going to jump to December of that year, 2010, when a police officer was on a routine training exercise with his dog and they discovered a body. The skeletal remains of a woman nearly disintegrated in a burlap sack. This discovery led to a search and three more bodies were found two days later in the same area on the north side of the Ocean Parkway. Suffolk County Commissioner Richard Dormer said four bodies found in the same location pretty much speaks for itself. It's more than a coincidence. We could have a serial killer. In late March slash early April 2011, four more bodies were discovered off the parkway near Oak Beach and Gilgo Beach. So Oak Beach and Gilgo Beach are kind of like the same area. Okay, okay. Police then expanded their search up to the Nassau County border looking for more victims. On April 6th, Detective Lieutenant Kevin Smith of the Nassau County Police Department said that his office will further explore and investigate any criminal activity which may be in close proximity to the recently discovered human remains found in Suffolk. And they would be coordinating with Suffolk County and the New York State Police on the investigation. Five days later, in Nassau County, a set of partial human remains was found, as well as a separate skull, bringing the potential total victims or potential total number of victims found since December to 10. On April 22nd, two human teeth were found about a foot from where that skull was found. On June 16, 2011, Suffolk County Police raised the reward from $5,000 to $25,000, the largest offered in the county's history, for information leading to an arrest in the Long Island murders. So, who were the victims? Maureen Brainerd Barnes, 25, of Norwick, Connecticut, was an escort who advertised her services online. Maureen left home on July 9, 2007, saying she planned to spend the day in New York City. She was never seen again. Maureen, she was a struggling mother, worked as an escort via Craigslist to pay the mortgage on her house. She had been out of the sex industry for about seven months, but returned to work in order to pay her bills after receiving an eviction notice. Shortly after her disappearance, a friend of Maureen's, Sarah Carnes, received a call from a man on an unfamiliar number. The man claimed that he had just seen Maureen and that she was alive and staying at a quote-unquote whorehouse in Queens. Which, what era is he from? Who mm. says whorehouse nowadays? Yeah, for real. He refused to identify himself and could not tell Carnes the location of the house. He told Carnes he would call back and give her the address, but he never called again. Maureen was one of the bodies found in December 2010. Melissa Bartholomew, 24, of Erie County, New York, went missing July 10, 2009. She had been living in the Bronx and working as an escort through Craigslist. 
on the night she went missing, she met with a client, deposited $900 in her bank account, and attempted to call an old boyfriend, but did not get through. One week later, her teenage sister, Amanda, received a series of vulgar, mocking, and insulting calls from a man who may have been the killer using Melissa's phone. The caller asked if Amanda was a, quote, whore like her sister. These calls became increasingly disturbing and eventually culminated in the caller telling Amanda that Melissa was dead and he was going to watch her rot. These calls lasted for five weeks. Police traced some of the calls to Madison Square Garden, Midtown Manhattan, and Massapequa, but were unable to determine who was making the calls. Melissa's mother noted there were a lot of calls to Manorville from Melissa's phone around the time of her disappearance. She was one of the bodies found in December 2010. Hmm. So that's two people who have advertised sex services on Craigslist. Megan Waterman, 22, of South Portland, Maine, went missing June 6, 2010, after placing an advertisement on Craigslist as an escort. The day before, she had told her 20-year-old boyfriend that she was going out and would call him later. At the time of her disappearance, she was staying at a motel in Hophog, New York, 15 miles northeast of Gilgo Beach. Her body was recovered December 2010. Amber Lynn Costello, 27, of North Babylon, New York, a town 10 miles north of Gilgo Beach, was a sex worker and reported heroin user who went missing on September 2, 2010. The night she reportedly went to meet a stranger who had called her several times and offered $1,500 for her services. Wow. So she was uh, another one of the bodies that was discovered in December 2010. So the four sets of remains discovered on March 29th and April 4th of 2011 were all within two miles and to the east of those found in December. Those include two women, a man, and a toddler. A skull and a partial set of remains were found April 11th after the search expanded into Nassau County. They were found about one mile apart, approximately five miles west of those found in December. So, Jessica Taylor, 20, most recently of Manhattan, went missing July 2003. On July 26th, her naked and dismembered torso, missing its head and hands, was discovered 45 miles east of Gilgo Beach in Manorville, New York. Now, if that sounds familiar, Manorville is where Melissa's mother said she had been making a lot of calls to and from. So, these remains were identified by a DNA analysis later that year. Taylor's torso was found atop a pile of scrap wood at the end of a paved access road off of Halsey Manor Road, just north of where it crosses the Long Island Expressway. Plastic sheeting was found underneath the torso, and a tattoo on her body had been mutilated with a sharp instrument. 
Ouch. On May 9th, 2011, it was reported that the remains of a skull, a pair of hands, and a forearm found on March 29th at Gilgo Beach were matched to Taylor. She had worked in Washington, D.C. and Manhattan as a sex worker. So her remains were scattered like 45 miles apart. You think Miss just did this to keep the trail? I'm going to tell you, after I go through all the victims, I'm going to tell you what I think. Okay. Valerie Mack, 24, most recently of Philadelphia, was previously dubbed Jane Doe number six. A head, right foot, and hands found on April 4th, 2011 were determined to have belonged to an unidentified victim. The rest of her body had been found on November 19th, 2000 in the same part of Manorville where most of Jessica Taylor's remains were later discovered. The victim's torso was found wrapped in garbage bags and dumped in the woods near the intersection of Halsey Manor Road and Mill Road, just adjacent to a set of power lines and nearby a power line access road. Her right foot had been cut off high above the ankle, possibly to conceal an identifying birthmark or tattoo. The dismembered remains of Jessica Taylor and Jane Doe number six were both disposed of in a similar manner and in the same town, suggesting a link. In September 2011, police released a composite sketch of Jane Doe number six, saying she was about 5'2 and between 18 and 35 years old. On May 22, 2020, Suffolk County Police announced they had positively identified the remains and would be releasing the identity shortly. On May 28, 2020, it was announced that the remains had been identified as Valerie Mack, who had last been seen by family in spring or summer of 2000 in the area of Port Republic, New Jersey. Mack had also gone by the name Melissa Taylor and had worked as an escort in Philadelphia. So, 20 years after she went missing, she was finally identified. Wow. Now, these are the unidentified remains. John Doe was discovered April 4th, 2011 at Gilgo Beach, very close to where the first four were discovered in December 2010. Now, for those keeping track, the Nassau County ones found the Nassau County police found the people in 2011. The ones discovered in 2010 were in Suffolk County. So once they got the next county involved, that's when they found these other people. The body was of what appeared to be a young Asian male who died from blunt force trauma. In September 2011, police released a composite sketch of the victim. They stated he had likely been working as a prostitute and was wearing women's clothing at the time of his death. He was between 17 and 23 years old, 5'6 in height, and missing four teeth. He had been dead between 5 and 10 years. He's believed to have possibly lived as a woman, perhaps being killed when the killer found out he wasn't female. He had some kind of musculoskeletal disorder which would have affected the way he walked. 
Peaches slash Jane Doe number three, and we're gonna get to why they call her Peaches. All right. <laughs> On June twenty eighth, nineteen ninety seven, the dismembered torso of an unidentified young African American female was found at Hempstead Lake Park in the town of Lakeview, New York. The torso was found in a green plastic Rubbermaid container, which was dumped next to a road along the west side of the lake. Investigators reported that the victim had a tattoo of a heart-shaped peach with a bite out of it, with two drips falling from its core on her left breast. Wow. Nice. Sexy. Nice. In... 2011, April 11th, the Nassau County Police discovered dismembered skeletal remains inside a plastic bag near Jones Beach State Park, and it was named James Doe Number 3. DNA analysis identified this victim to be the mother of Baby Doe. She was found wearing gold jewelry similar to that of Baby Doe. In December 2016, Peaches and Jane Doe number three were positively identified as being the same person. So again, her remains were scattered. Her torso was by itself. Which is leading me to my conclusion. Baby Doe was the third body found on April 4th, 2011, about 250 feet away from the partial remains of Jane Doe number six, a.k.a. Valerie Mack. Baby Doe was a skeletal, was skeletal remains of a female toddler between 16 and 24 months of age. The body was wrapped in a blanket and showed no visible signs of trauma. DNA tests determined that the child's mother was... Jane Doe number three, a.k.a. Peaches, whose body was found 10 miles east near Jones Beach State Park. The toddler was reported to be a person of color. So maybe she was possibly mixed race because her mother was possibly a sex worker, so they just couldn't really determine. And was wearing gold earrings and a gold necklace. Now, Jane Doe number seven slash Fire Island Jane Doe. Also on April 11th, 2011, at nearby Tobey Beach, a separate human skull and several teeth were recovered. These remains were linked by DNA testing to a set of severed legs found in a garbage bag on Fire Island on April 20th, 1996. The victim had a surgical scar on her left leg. And that's all they can tell. Man. So. This guy. Her remains were found a long time apart from each other. 2011 and 1996. Mm. So she's, she had been missing for a while. Now, other possible victims. These are additional cases that have been that have not been officially linked to the other ten bodies, but are being reviewed by the police. Nineteen-year-old Tina Foglia was last seen in the early morning hours of February first, nineteen eighty-two, at a rock music venue venue in West Islip. She was a known hitchhiker, which I'ma say 
thank goodness for the 80s where they really kind of stopped hitchhiking because that's super dangerous. Very dangerous. I saw a hitchhiker not too long ago, and I was like, sir, nobody's going to pick you up. Mm-mm. People are crazy nowadays. People are crazy. You could get into the car with the murderer. Yeah. Yeah. Or you could be the murderer. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad that the practice of hitchhiking has really kind of, you know, gone away. So, she was a known hitchhiker. Her dismembered body was discovered by the Department of Transportation Workers on February 3rd along the shoulder of the Southern State Parkway. Her remains were placed in three separate plastic garbage bags, which were found a few miles north of the Robert Moses Causeway, which leads to Gilgo Beach and Oak Beach. The DNA of an unknown male was found on the garbage bags. Police have not ruled out the possibility that Tina Foglia was an early victim of the Long Island serial killer. On March 3, 2007, a suitcase containing the dismembered torso of an unidentified Hispanic or light-skinned African-American female washed up on a beach at Harbor Island Park in the town of Mamaroneck. The victim had a tattoo of two cherries on her left breast, which was similar in appearance to the tattoo found on Peaches. She was determined to have been stabbed to death. Never identified, the victim is referred to as cherries by investigators. Which Cherries. <laughs> cherries and peaches. Which is sad. It's, it's not funny. Sad. But yeah. it's like, you know, they give them nicknames to make them kind of like feel more real, I guess. Yeah. So... One of her dismembered legs washed up at Cold Spring Harbor on March 21st, 2007. Her other leg washed up at Oyster Bay in the village of Cove Neck the following day. Cherries was dismembered in a fashion similar to three other victims, Jessica Taylor, Valerie Mack, and Peaches, meaning she may be linked to the other official victims. On May 17th, 2011, the New York Post reported that Long Island police were revisiting another similar unsolved murder of, or were revisiting other similar unsolved murders of sex workers. Named in the article was Tanya Rush, 39, a mother of three from Brooklyn whose dismembered body was found in a small suitcase in June 2008 on the shoulder of the Southern State Parkway in Belmore, New York. Shannon Gilbert, who we started the story with, the escort was possibly a victim of the Long Island serial killer. Again, she left the client's residence in Oak Beach after midnight on May 1st at 4.51 in the morning. 911 dispatchers received a panic call from Gilbert, who can be heard saying there was someone after her and that they were trying to kill her. She was last seen a short time banging on the door of a nearby Oak Beach residence and screaming for help before running off into the night. After 19 months of searching, police found Gilbert's remains in a marsh half a mile from where she was last seen. In May 2012, the Suffolk County Medical Examiner's ruled that Gilbert accidentally drowned after entering the marsh, though. Mm. 
They believe she was in a drug-induced panic and have concluded that hers was death by misadventure or inconclusive. But her family believes she was murdered. On November 15, 2012, a lawsuit was filed by her mother, Mary Gilbert, against the Suffolk County Police Department in hopes of getting more answers about what happened to her daughter the night she went missing. Due to controversy about Gilbert's death, in September 2014, forensic pathologist Michael Baden agreed to conduct an independent autopsy of Gilbert's remains in hopes of determining a clear cause of death. Upon examination of Gilbert's remains, Baden found damage to her hyoid bone, suggesting that strangulation may have occurred. He also noted that her body was found face up, which is not common for drowning victims. Right, right, right. Despite this, her death is still officially listed by police as an accident. On July 23rd, 2016, Mary Gilbert, her mother, was murdered in her home in Ellenville, New York. Later that day, her younger daughter, Sarah Gilbert, was arrested and charged with her stabbing death. Huh. On May 6, 2020, New York State Supreme Court ordered Suffolk County Police to release Gilbert's 911 call recording, denying their request to continue to withhold it, even though it had been more than 10 years. Very recent. Yes. Mm-hmm. The tapes were released to Gilbert's estate attorney, John Ray. Under the court order, Ray is barred from discussing the specifics of the call, though. However, he did comment that the nature of the call contradicts what Suffolk Police Detective Vincent Stephen had described in earlier reports about the calls from that morning. Specifically, Gilbert's tone had been described by Detective Stephen as calm and indicated as no desperation. After reviewing the tapes, Ray claims that this is not true. He said, check the tapes. <clears throat> check the tapes. So, on January 23rd, 2013, a woman walking her dog found remains intentionally buried in a small piece of brush in a sandy area along the shore of the end of Sheep Lane in Laddingtown near Oyster Bay. The remains are believed to be a woman between the ages of 20 and 30, possibly Asian. She was wearing a 22-carat gold pig pendant, which may be a reference in some Asian, Asian cultures to the year of the pig. There was trauma caused to her bones. Investigators believe she was buried before Hurricane Sandy in late 2012. Her case may be connected to the other 10 bodies found 32 miles away in and around Gilgo Beach. A pig pendant stands for prosperity, good luck, wealth, and money. Oh. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. You would think pig would be like gluttonous and, you know. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, stuff, yeah. Thanks for that tidbit. Of course, but yeah, back to Lisk, because Lisk is all over the place. He or she is. They are all over the place. All over the place. So on March 16, 2013, 31-year-old Natasha Jugo 
was last seen leaving her home near Alley Pond Park, Queens. Her car was found along Ocean Parkway and some of her clothes and belongings were found in the sand near Gilgo Beach the following day. Jugo was described as 5 feet 7, 120 pounds with brown eyes and blonde hair. She was last seen wearing a black robe, pink pajamas, gray hooded sweatshirt, a black coat, and black boots. She's wearing all that? Yeah, that's kind of an ensemble. Quite the ensemble. Jugo's family said that she had a history of problems in which she thought people were following her. On June 24, 2013, Jugo's body washed up on Gilgo Beach. Police are unsure whether her case is connected to the list of victims. Most likely because she wasn't dismembered. She just washed up. So maybe she was like in a paranoid state and, you know, she accidentally died. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, if you're, if you're running around these areas, these like marshy, swampy areas at night, you can get and you stuck. trip and fall. You can, like hurt your leg and like won't be able to get up and just. Yeah. So she could have just been an accident that mm. happened and just it happened to be near where all these victims were buried. Lucky she's not in Florida. There have been some alligators around there. Right. So, now we have some suspects, some speculation, and some persons of interest. Oh, right. Let's dive. Because we, they didn't just say, huh, well, we, we don't know who's doing this. Let's go. Like, they had some suspects, some viable good. suspects. Good, good, good. To which... Many people are like, why are y'all not arresting people or a person? Yeah. So. Before we get into this, though, I'm going to tell you my theory. I don't think Lisk is one person. Okay. I think it's two, possibly three people not necessarily working together, but just dumping bodies in the same, like, remote, beachy, marshy, overgrown area. Because we have the bodies that were dismembered, and we were finding all these torsos. Right. Then we have the four bodies that were in the burlap sacks. Mm-hmm. Then we have the unidentified victims who were found over the Nassau County line, who not all of them match either of those. Yeah, very strange in those. Yeah, so I don't see... Well, I mean, I guess he could, but wouldn't it be... Okay, if you had burlap sacks... Well, I guess the dismembered people were first, because they, they a lot of those were the ones where the bodies were found like back in the 90s, early 2000s. Right, right. So maybe... He or she figured, okay, this is too much work. Let me just put them in a bag and dump them out. Mm-hmm. But I really think it was it's two different people using the same area. Because that's just so vastly different. It, it is. It is. Like, you know what kind of person you have to be to dismember people and then just drive around scattering them around? I don't know, actually. And then, like, the torsos were found in one place, and then their body, like, extremities were found in other another place. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think Lisk and Gilgo Beach and Craigslist Ripper are all the same person. That's just me. I just personally don't. I think the 
the manners of death and how they're discarding the people are two different. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, definitely can see your reasoning there. Yeah, because it's, like, if you see it, it's like a strip of, like, highway with, like, overgrown. So, I mean, if I could see, like, in the dead of night, it's, you know, not someplace that's well-traveled. Two different people, like, you know, using that area, especially if they're familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. And then they were, like, far enough apart where it's not like, oh, I'm tripping over Liska's dead bodies. (laughs) Right. But that's just me. I just personally don't feel like all of these victims are one person. I definitely understand your reasoning there. It is so strange. It is because it's like they're all semi kind of connected, but not quite, but kind of sort of. Like string theory. String theory. Yes. So, suspect speculation and persons of interest. Now, the media has speculated about a profile of the killer. According to the New York Times, which, from what I understand, is a paper run by the BAU, Behavioral Analysis Unit, no, I'm just being facetious. Okay. <laughs> because I say that because they put out their own little profile. <laughs> so according to the New York Times, it's most likely a white male in his mid-20s to mid-40s who is very, very familiar with South Shore of Long Island and has access to burlap sacks, which he uses to hold the bodies for disposal. He may have a detailed knowledge of law enforcement techniques and perhaps ties to law enforcement, which have thus far helped him to avoid detection. Thank you to the analysis at the New York Times. Yeah. We appreciate you. 20 to 40, that's a pretty big range. But you know, I feel like that's kind of like the general serial killer, white male, 20s to 40s. Like, that's pretty much the range they all are in just wait until like there's a huge news story about um like uh an asian 15 year old female serial killer then what the world will be on its head Mm. expect that late 2020 yeah yeah another thing happened in 2020 so it's speculated that serial killer joel rifkin a former resident of North Belmore, Long Island, may have been responsible for some of the older remains that were found in March and April of 2011. In 1993, he was sentenced to 203 years in prison for the murders of nine women between 1989 and 1993. But it's believed he has killed up to 17 victims. Now, his timeline of killing would roughly work because some of these people went missing in the early 90s but although Rifkin often picked up sex workers in a 2011 prison interview with Newsday Rifkin denied having anything to do with the Gilgo Beach murder victims James Bissett Two days after Shannon Gilbert's remains were found, James Bissett took his own life while in the car 
at Mattituck Park. He ran a nursery, which was the main supplier of burlap in that region. That is something that's, um, like, on the shows when you watch, like, you know, when you watch a detective on shows, he's like, hmm, this wallet. He looks at the brand of the wallet and goes to the manufacturer of the wallet, like, in their town. Like, that's so funny. Yeah, so he he took his own life two days after she was found. That caused a lot of speculation, but there's not really anything other than the burlap to tie him to anything. James Burke. On December 15th, 2016, the attorney for Gilbert's family said that an escort who had conducted business with the former Suffolk County Police Chief James Burke claimed he was connected to the Long Island murders. So they're throwing the police chief under the bus. Wow. In November, huh? Was the police chief from 20 to 40? Possibly. With the the officer background? Mm -hmm. He he might fit the profile that New New York York Times Times. put out. They might have been onto something. They might have been onto something. Now, in November 2016, Burke had been sentenced to 46 months in federal prison along with three years of supervised release for beating a man who stole a duffel bag filled with sex toys and pornography from his vehicle. He beat him? He beat him. He wanted his sex toys and pornography. Man, you you beat a guy over the head over skin magazines? For real? What if he beat him in the head with With a sex sex toy? toy? Oh, dude. (laughs) Not funny. This is not funny. Got it recorded on the street, man. Burke had pled guilty in February 2016 to charges of a civil rights violation and conspiracy to obstruct justice. Gilbert's attorney said in December that one escort claimed that she had had rough sex with Burke during an Oak Beach party. The escort identified herself as Leanne. She specifically stated at the first party she had attended in April 2011 in Oak Beach she saw Burke drag an Asian looking woman by the hair to the ground Leanne said that when she saw him for the second time she decided to hook up with him after she was told he was a high ranking official and that was intriguing to her she described that he violently yanked her head during oral sex to the point to where she started tearing up. Burke was unable to reach orgasm and proceeded to throw three to four hundred dollars at her afterward. Now, again, that was in August 2011. At this time, she states she was not a professional sex worker and this was the first time she had ever been paid for sex. Mm. Burke was reported to have blocked an FBI probe of the Long Island serial killer case during his time as police chief, too. Really? Really. Whoa. He's checking a lot of boxes. Burke, what you doing over there? He's checking a lot of boxes over here. Oh. Red flags all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. John Bitroff. On September 12, 2017, Suffolk County prosecutor Robert Blancavilla said that John Bitroff, a Suffolk County resident, 
was a suspect in at least one of the Lisk murders. Well, how could you be a, suf- a, a, a suspect in one and not more than one or all? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, Bittroff had lived in Manorville, three miles away from where the torsos of Lisk victims Jessica Taylor and Valerie Mack were recovered. Bianca Villa stated that Bitroff was likely responsible for the deaths of other women and that there were similarities between the Gilgo Beach crime scenes and Bitroff's known murders for which he was convicted in 2017 and sentenced in September of that year. Okay. So he was a known murderer. Yeah. A convicted murderer. Bitroff was arrested in 2014, linked by DNA found on two prostitute homicide victims, Rita Tangretti and Colleen McNamee, whose bodies were found in 93 and 94, respectively. The match had been made through DNA submitted by his brother, who was convicted in 2013 in an unrelated case. His brother threw him under the bus? His brother's DNA threw him under the bus. Mm. You know, now they have that familial DNA where, like, let's say you do a 23 and Me, mm-hmm. and your DNA is out there in that databank, mm-hmm. and I can't think of the name of the company off the top of my head, but they run, like, those DNA against DNA results of unknown perpetrators, mm-hmm. and it might be like, okay, the DNA from this case is a relative of this person. Whoa. Whoa. So that's how they traced him because his brother's DNA came up as a relative to these two victims from 93 and 94. That's crazy. Yeah. So keep your spit to yourself, children. Now, Bitroff was convicted of these in May 2017 and in September, sentenced to consecutive terms of 25 years for each murder. The Suffolk County Police did not comment on the prosecutor's statement due to active homicide investigations of the Lisk murders. Bitroff's attorney rejected the prosecutor's assertion. Bianca Villa said that Bitroff was a hunter who enjoyed killing of animals. No. However, Rita and Colleen were not animals, sir. Homo sapiens, they're technically animals. Technically, but you know what he was talking about. Because, like, you know, humans the most dangerous gang. But listen to this. The daughter of Rita Tancredi, one of Bitroff's known victims, was reported to be best friends with Melissa Bartholomew, one of the Gilgo Beach victims. Okay, okay. So he does have a link to them. Yeah. And remember, Bartholomew's mother said that her daughter Melissa had a lot of calls to Manorville from her phone, or to and from Manorville from her phone before her death. So he could possibly. Dr. Peter Hackett. Not the doctor. The doctor. What type of doctor? He's like a, a psychiatrist? We might get to that. Okay. Two days 
after Gilbert's disappearance, Dr. Peter Hackett, an Oak Beach resident and neighbor of Brewer, who was the client of Gilbert, that's who's how she ran from, called the woman's mother, Mary Gilbert. She later recounted that he said he was taking care of Gilbert and that he ran a home for wayward girls. Hmm. Again, more weird wording. Carry on, my wayward girl. Yes. Three days later, he called the mother again, denying that he had any contact with her daughter and that he had called Mary Gilbert. So he called her, said he was taking care of his, her daughter, then called her back and was like, that wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't me. But how would he know somebody called her if it wasn't him? No, no. Dr. Hackett, come on. Investigators later confirmed through phone records that Hackett called Mary twice following the disappearance. The marshy area where Gilbert's remains were found were also noted as near Hackett's backyard. Gilbert's family filed a wrongful death suit against Hackett in November 2012, claiming he took Gilbert into his home that morning and administered drugs to her, facilitating her death. Later, police revealed that Hackett had a history of inserting himself or exaggerating his role in certain major events. Police also noted that Hackett's wife and two children were home on the night of Gilbert's disappearance. Police later ruled out Hackett as a suspect in the deaths of Gilbert and the Lisk victims. Hmm. So why, that's just weird. Like, why even call her mother? Yeah. And lie about it. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. So, on January 16, 2020, Suffolk County Police Commissioner Geraldine Hart released images of a belt found at the crime scene with the letters HM or WH, depending on which way the belt was looked at, embossed in black leather. The belt was found during the initial investigation near Ocean Parkway in Gilgo Beach. Police believe the belt was handled by the suspect and did not belong to any of the victims. The police revealed few details regarding this piece of evidence and would not comment on exactly where the belt was found. It was also announced that new scientific evidence was being used in the investigation and that they had launched gilgonews.com, a website enabling the police to share news and receive tips regarding the investigation. HM or WH? Any any names on there with those initials? Hackett. And also, Joseph Brewer, the guy who she was last known to be with, yeah, was a suspect, as he should have been. Yeah. But police didn't find any evidence of wrongdoing, and he was quickly cleared. Mm-hmm. Man. I, yeah, you know... I think there, I think definitely could be a multiple, multiple lists. Yeah, multiple using the people. same dumping grounds. Yeah. Because mm. that's like a long time frame. Yeah. And then why not 
Well, I don't think there's been any recent discoveries, like since uh, the very last one. Was it 2011? Mm, yeah, that was the very uh, last official mm-hmm. Lisk victim. But 2013 or 2017 was when they found one that possibly could have been. She was on the possible list. I think it was 2013 was the last one. Mm. But that was that was a lot. Yeah. And that's why I think it's not. It's just not one person. Yeah. That It seems like too much for one person to do. That is so much. That is, is so much. You have to love being a psychopathic killer to do that. And then they had so many viable suspects that they just couldn't pin anything on. That's crazy. The dismemberment thing is definitely the worst part for on in my in in my book, definitely the worst part. Yes, yes, I I just couldn't see that. That's no. just crazy. It is. Mm-mm. Well, listeners in Long Island, definitely be careful of potential Long Island serial killers out there. If you know anything, go to gilgonews.com and provide a tip. Yeah, please do, please do, because the sooner this psychopath is caught, the better. And only use Craigslist for buying cars. Or rehoming animals. Or buying cell phones. And other electronics. But, um... But, yeah, like, that's that's terrible because, like, you know... Because, like, you know, these women that are escorts, they don't want to be an escort, you know? Right, right. It's, it's like, it's a last resort for them. And for there to be... Well, there's, of course, there's always a risk of someone like that getting murdered, unfortunately, because... Because the people who use those services belittle them so much that they don't they don't view them as a as a necessary life, you know. Right, and not only that, it's like they know that they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. They know that people probably are not keeping track of them, like a family. Right, right. And they know that they're highly likely to not go to the police because they're involved in something illegal anyway. Yeah, and so they're they're really good targets for people who want to do stuff like this because they are so vulnerable in the, in that many ways. And um and I'm sure escorts come in all different shapes and sizes, but for the most part they are petite petite little women, petite little women who and depending on the type of man that wants to um get service, they could be huge, you know, they could definitely unfortunately overpower a woman and just never hear from her again. Yeah. And that that's scary, you know. I Mhm. Like you said, this is not something that they want to do. It's more of a last resort. And the fact that there's so many risks involved so many risk. is scary. It is, yeah. Welcome to the So-Called Oreos podcast. A podcast for Kia, Amari, Rachel, and Janae discuss all the awkwardness, hardship, and hilarity that comes along with society labeling you white on the inside and black on the outside, also known as an Oreo. Trying to mind my business and be black, that's basically about it. Through intimate conversation and candid interviews, we discuss everything from quote-unquote talking white 
you talk the way, which I guess is supposed to be like you talk proper. And I usually think black people sound ghetto and uneducated. That's yeah, how that's I perceive when you say into. you talk so what, white. You, mean you don't speak Cubanics? Traveling while black. It opened my eyes to a lot of just the small privileges Americans have. And then it also opened my eyes to, as a person of color, how difficult it may be to go to another country. It was just a lot of blatant racism. Dating as a black woman. There's just something about the black woman who just really wants to support and see the black man thrive. And even if I'm not in a relationship with a black man, I'm still like- Gonna root for them. I'm still rooting for I'm always gonna root for you. I'm always. And a whole lot more. I just love being black. So join us every other Tuesday for intellectual, and funny conversations that will make you embrace your inner Oreo. I'm gonna light your shit on fire. That's I'm gonna tell your mama. <laughs> What's up? What, 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 what if his Roberta, yo, son cheated on me. But you know some mama be like, well, that's what men do, so why are you so Exactly. No. Old timey bullshit. That is not, I ain't that, having that is it. That's not okay. What is so interesting is that my story also has to do with Craigslist. No, not oh. Craigslist, but um, I guess relations. No, let's just say relations. Coitus. <laughs> I hope you're ready for this one, because we are going to talk about the doodler. <laughs> Doodle isn't drawing. Like he did, he draw on them. The Doodler, also known as the Black Doodler, the nickname was given due to the perpetrator's habit of sketching his victims prior to their sexual encounters and murders by stabbing. Whoa. So yes, he drew on them after they died. That's the worst serial killer name in the world. No, it's, 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 so, it's so early Batman serial killer name. Yes. The Doodler. Okay, I'm going to stop laughing. I'm... I'm done. Go. The doodler was described as a man between 19 and 25 years of age and of African descent. He was about six feet tall with a slender build. Police initially believed there could have been as many as three different perpetrators during his early stages of investigation. I just want to say one of us fits that description. One of us? One of us. Huh. I wonder who that could be. I wonder. Who's six feet tall, slender build. Of African descent? I don't, know. I don't know. My head's hurting thinking about it now. One thing I have to tell you about this case is that um, the um, the range of numbers, like they're all like they're 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 like not all over the place. There's like only like three of them because like 1925. That's only six years, so that's not too crazy. But it's believed the doodler killed between five and sixteen people. I think that's pretty big range. That's a big range. That's a pretty big range. Um. A consistent method used in several of the killings was stabbing the victims in the chest and back in similar locations. All the victims were white males. Police theorized the victims had all died after meeting the suspect near the locations where their bodies were discovered. And so the big thing about this one, um, it takes place in, well, I guess the discoveries of the bodies take place between... January 1974 to September 1975 in California. And so all these males were homosexual. 
in the 70s in California, some of these males were um, vital to the community. Like, you know, it was like political leaders and stuff like that. Mm. And so it's a very interesting case. So I have a list of the victims right here. And let's start with Gerald Earl Cavanaugh. A Canadian-American immigrant is believed to be the doodler's first victim. He was 49 at the time of his slaying, which had only which had occurred by stabbing. Kavanaugh's fully clothed body was discovered on January 24, 1974, lying face up on Ocean Beach in San Francisco, California, in the early hours of the morning. He had died just hours before he was discovered. He was determined to have been conscious at the time he was killed and had attempted to resist his killer because he had self-defense wounds. I would hope he would have resisted. Right. He initially remained unidentified, being temporarily known as John Doe Number 7 by the medical examiner. Medical examiner. The examinator. <laughs> by the medical examinator. Get, give me the scalpel. <laughs> Get to the chopper! <laughs> he was a single man, and few details were available about his personal life. Second victim. Joseph J. Stevens. Joseph J. Stevens, best known by the nickname J, was discovered June 25, 1974, by a woman walking along, walking along Sparkles Lake in San Francisco. Stevens was 27 and had died shortly before his body was found. He had, he had been witnessed at a club the previous day. He was employed as a female impersonator and comedian. Officers suspected that Stevens was alive at the time. He had been at Sparkles Lake, possibly transporting himself to the area with his killer. So, like, they met, they're about to go somewhere, and then boom, the doodler starts doodling. Wow. I mean, like, did he set up an easel? Like, should I be wary of these caricature sketchers that are out here? Hmm. Possibly. Possible? I don't think you have anything to worry about because you're not, you're not a male. Oh, okay. Okay. It seems, it seems like as of as of now, as of in the seventies, his mo was males. Forty's been been fifty years, going on fifty, almost fifty years. So his mo could change. You know, could switch things up. Maybe he wants to doodle on women. Maybe. It's possible. It's his business. That is. Klaus Kreisman, a German American immigrant, was discovered by a woman walking her dog on July seventh, nineteen seventy four. I hope that dog's not traumatized. His death had been somewhat more violent than the previous murders because he had considerably more stab wounds than Stevens and had been slashed in the throat several times. He must have fought. Yeah, yeah, he must have. Yeah, he, he, he definitely messed up. The jeweler was angry at him. The body was fully clothed. Kreisman, unlike the previous victims, was married and had children. The fact that he had ma a makeup tube on his person... When he died, suggested to the police that he may have been a closeted gay man. Holy goodness. Seriously? The 70s were a very, very bigoted time. <laughs> what if... What if? One of his children put that in his pocket because they were playing. Or what if he is his wife's and he saw his child with it and he's like, hey, give me that. And he just stuffed it in his pocket and then he ran out of the house. Yeah. And now all of a to sudden. To go to the gay club. 
he's a gay man <laughs> because he had makeup in his pocket. I'm just saying that's a far leap for me. That is, that is quite the stretch. That's yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just just uh, 70s assumptions. Yes. <laughs> he remained unidentified briefly while police were investigating the cases, which they had believed were related after, um, after the previous murder. He was buried back in Germany. Fred, Frederick Elmer Kappen, age 32, was discovered May 12, 1975 in San Francisco. He had been stabbed like the other victims, dying from strikes to his aorta. Mm. It is believed his body had been moved approximately 20 feet, as the services in the, ne- in the nearby sand indicated. 20 feet, that's a long way. Yeah. Kappen was identified through fingerprints when these were matched to those taken by the state due to his occupation as a nurse. He was also had served in the U.S. Navy, earning medals while serving in the Vietnam War. So how did he, how did he not take down the dueler? Dueler the dueler got the drop on him. I think so. All right, and the last known victim is Harold Goldberg, age sixty six, was a Swedish American immigrant who was discovered on June fourth, nineteen seventy five, in a decomposed state about two weeks after his death in Lincoln Park. He remained slightly he remained slightly. Inconsistent with the other homicides because he was far older than the others. His underwear had been taken by his killer and his pants were unzipped. Goldberg is believed to be the final victim of the dueler. While he remained unidentified, he was known as John Doe number 81. That's a lot of John Doe's. That's a lot of John Doe's, yeah. Um, Terrible, 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 terrible. So, um... Kind of like, kind of like in every other pattern with a doodler, is that he targeted immigrants. Mm-hmm. So he maybe just like you know picked up on the accents and was like, oh, this would be some, this would be someone that won't get a lot of attention if they go missing. Right. That's probably his assumptions on things. So, uh, during the during the investigation, police questioned a young man as a murder suspect in the cases, but could not proceed with the criminal charges because. Three, because three surviving victims did not want to out themselves by testifying against him in court. They didn't want to come out as being homosexual. So, so this man was able to roam free just because they were scared of, of you know. Well, it was the 70s and it was a much different time and they ostracized people for being gay very badly. Would you rather would you rather be mocked by your community or save countless lives? Five to sixteen people. I mean, they could have lost their jobs, their families, all their livelihoods because the seventies were not a forgiving, accepting time mm. for the LGBTQIA. Mm. I suppose you're right. Among the stabbing survivors were a well-known entertainer and a diplomat. The suspect cooperated. The suspect cooperated with police during his during his interview, but he never admitted guilt for the murders and attacks. Officers stated that they strongly believed that the man in question were was responsible for the crimes, but he was never tried or convicted because of the survivors' refusals to appear in court. 
To date, the suspect never has been named publicly or apprehended. Very little information is known about the case, about the crimes. Two other potential suspects arose in 1977 after a pair of men from Redondo Beach were arrested in Riverside County, California, and questioned on suspicion of approximately 28 murders that, like, like the San Francisco killings, occurred after homosexual encounters. Yeah, that's a lot. That is. As of May 2018, the case is still open and ongoing in the San Francisco Police Department. Recent successes using DNA technology developed in the decades since the crime have led police to re-examine evidence. And um, in 2018, they released a sketch of how the jeweler would look now at the estimated age of 63 or 69. But now in 2020, you'll be 65 and 71. In February 2019, police offered a $100,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of the killer and released a revised sketch, which is what I just, I just um, talked about. They later, they later announced that they would consider forensic genetic genealogy, which identified a suspect in the Golden State Killer's murders. Yes. Golden State Killer, that was wild. They just found him, what, 2019? 2018? Yeah. And he was, like, killing since the 70s. He had, like, eight nicknames. Oh, wow. <laughs> he was all over the place. <laughs> But none of his nicknames were as good as the Doodler, though. Oh, no. Not at all. Not even kind of. Mm-mm. Well, what do you think about the Doodler? I think they maybe made a lot of assumptions. I wonder, do they have pictures of these Doodles somewhere? I want to see a Doodle, too. Like, because you can call him the Doodler. But can you prove that he doodled? Can you prove if he doodled indeed? That is the question that Shakespeare should have asked. So, Key, how do you want to bring this one back up? Well, at the end of this week that this episode airs, it will be my birthday. It will be. Oh, wow. P, you are becoming an old lady. We're going to have to retire you from the podcast game. Oh, Lord. I'm only 30-ish. Only 30-ish. Yeah. That's so close to 40-ish, though. Yeah. Potato, potato. <laughs> 40's the new 20. Okay. So it's 30 the new 10? Sure. Okay. So I'm somewhere in between 10 and 20 right now. <laughs> yeah. So... I don't know. I don't have any plans set in stone. I want to go to Houston and visit my old favorite restaurants and go out to eat with my work bay Edwin. I remember Edwin. I met, I met Edwin. Yes, we go out on the date every time we go, or every time I come back to Houston. And it's it's lovely. Well, hopefully between now and the 13th, you're not going to, um, well, the world's not going to get something else going on we can only hope yeah because we've definitely been in the upside down lately maybe i mean they can go eight days without going crazy right i would hope so eight days come on come on u.s come on world eight days though please 
I just want to go to Houston and eat my halal food. <laughs> well, that is that is a great, a great, 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 great segue. The anniversary of your birth. Mine is not until October, which I'm very excited for. Only because it's the month of October, and it just makes me excited anyway. I just like the summertime. It's too hot. Eh. That's what pools are for. Pools are for. Okay. Yeah. Shout out to all our listeners and uh, the new listeners in the new countries that have started to listen. We got some UK listeners. I'm super excited about that. Um, thanks for joining us. We hope to have you back. Also, again, we have our YouTube channel. If you need to listen and you can't access a podcast app, YouTube has all of our episodes. You can email us at we shouldn't talk about this at gmail.com, wstat underscore pod on Instagram and Twitter, and the we shouldn't talk about this Facebook group, always allowing members to join. So chat with us, mainly me because I'm more the social media person. But V pops in every now and then. Yeah. You know, I pop in just to say something um, off the wall, and then I'm gone for another week or so. Yes, but I do respond back to people, and I love the interactment and the engagement and people giving us constructive criticism. Yeah. Um, making a podcast is a very interesting thing to do. Like, uh, when you tell someone you have a podcast, they're like, oh, like, you know, is it on anything? You're like, yeah, it's on every single app. All like, of them. Like, it's on every app you would have. And it's on YouTube. Like, we have a podcast. Like, it's crazy. So we do yes. appreciate all of our listeners so much because, you know, we're just doing it for fun. We are. We don't ask for money. We don't have a Patreon for you to join. We don't even have a PayPal. No, uh-uh. Just... I mean, now, if somebody wants to give me some birthday donations hit me up on one of our things actually you know what today i'm gonna make a paypal we shouldn't talk about this at gmail.com will be our paypal <laughs> well that works that help me get to houston <laughs> done deal right help there me eat <laughs> her birthday din din yes because i have to go to like six restaurants while i'm in houston there's some good restaurants out there Yes, so I am hype. Maybe I will go. Maybe I'll go to the beach. Who knows? But something will be happening somewhere. There we go. Something will be happening somewhere. And I'll be here in South Carolina. Because you have to work. Yeah, I have to work. So is that okay? Yes. Thank you so much for introducing us to the Long Island, the Long Island serial killer. Lisk. I really wish that Nick and was as cool to do there, but you know, it's neither here nor there. No, I mean, Gilgo Beach is fun to say. Gilgo Beach? Yes, it is. But hopefully one day they find this person or persons through some DNA because this is horrendous. And then all those people that are unidentified, but we're trying to bring it up. So we're going to say happy soul day to me. And with that, I am Key. And I'm V. And this has been We Shouldn't Talk About This. Thanks for listening. Bye.